This is Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication on the No Direction Network. Danielle, Denise, and Ben interview tabletop designers on the games they've made. Together, they unbox how a game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Ben, Denise, and Danielle for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 6, Misdirection. Today, we are joined by Michael Langford, designer of Misdirection by his own company, Games with Teeth. Michael is an awesome designer who has made a fantastic contribution to Filler Games. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. To warm you up, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself in the game design community? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name's Michael Langford. Uh, I live in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm addicted to board games. Um, I run a small design and publishing company called Games with Teeth. Uh, and by small, I mean one volunteer, which is me. And I say volunteer just because I haven't been paid. <laughs> um, I've always been a, a creative person. Uh, I used to, you know, the old Command & Conquer games, I used to make mods for them. I dabbled in some video game design uh, and then I was introduced to the world of board games and after a few months of research I joined some communities online and here I am. Well then what was the inspiration behind Misdirection? So I jumped into bed and the idea of a game where players inadvertently attack each other so I don't attack you, you don't attack me, but we make other people play cards where something else happens that you get attacked by. And that's how Misdirection was made, basically. So, For anyone who hasn't played the game, would you mind just running through how to play? Yeah, sure. So it's a simple pick-up, put-down game where there's an enemy in the middle of the table and the game changes based on the enemy itself. Uh, so one enemy might say it'll attack a player that doesn't perform an action. And inside the deck are some cards that say no action. On your turn, you pick up another card and you have to play one of the two cards in your hand, sort of a bit like Love Letter. And then okay. you play that card and that card will affect other players, whether it's the next player, a player of your choice, uh, the previous player, stuff like that. And it will result in an event happening in the game where another player loses life and when they lose all their lives, they're out of the game. And the last one surviving wins. So it has a little bit of player elimination. Do people tend to get out around the same time? Uh, some games have gone on for longer because it, it, it's such a random chaotic game. So there's little strategy involved. It's completely chaos. So yeah, there are, there is a bit of player elimination. Um, it does happen. It can happen quite early if you get ganged up on. I really love card games. And one of the challenges with creating and designing card games are the prototype and putting all the pieces together. I am really curious, how did you make the initial prototype? What did it look like? Um, well, it was ugly. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> So I went to an office supply store and picked up some some little study reference cards, uh, and I just wrote out the first version of the game on that. Um, I'd marked the back of the cards with whether it was an action card or an enemy card, and then I just wrote probably about sixty to seventy different cards. And oh, wow. 
played it from there. Um, did you make an Excel sheet with all the different cards in it, or did you just start doodling and drawing and writing on these index cards? I did have a design document that I started everything in. Um, I find if I don't write something down, I will completely forget it. So I had to write everything down, even the smallest idea, I'd write it down. I still do it today just so I don't forget it because I will forget it. I promise you that. And then I just, yeah, transferred it onto, onto written cards. At what point did the artwork come into play? Because it's a very uh, wonderfully graphically engaging game as well. At what point did you uh, seek out an artist? Did you do the art yourself? I certainly didn't do the art. I can barely write my own name. Um, <laughs> I, I I did have a, a partner that I was working on the game with, um, a friend, and she was originally going to do the artwork. But I we, we didn't really work well together, so... I eventually, after about probably 18 months in development, I sought a new artist and, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I found a, uh, a wonderful artist in South Australia named Anthea Wright, and she basically created all the characters, the design of the cards, the layout, everything off my really bad descriptions. Well, that's so good that you were able to find somebody who can take what you were writing apparently bad and make it a reality and so beautiful. It, it certainly helps when you've got someone talented and a, a talented artist, I'll tell you that much. How did you find them? I, th I think I found her on Board Game Geek, I think. I, I can't remember. It was either Board Game Geek or a, or a Facebook group that might have been just for artists and graphic design, I believe. Um, one of those two, I can't quite remember because it's gone back about three years now. I was going to say, so since you did reach out through one of those groups, how did you stay in communication with your artist? Uh, it was mostly Facebook messaging. Um, and we have, we've actually become quite good friends since then. Um, so we're Facebook buddies. <laughs> I don't know if that's a measure of friendship nowadays. I feel like it definitely <laughs> is, especially right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but we're, we're in contact. We talk talk to each other a bit. Um, so, so we've developed the friendship through through what was a, a business transaction, basically. I've definitely had a lot of those come up before. So, Michael... Um, Answering Denise's question, you mentioned that you had 60 to 70 pieces of, uh, well, just prototype cards to kind of experiment with, but the the core of the game kind of, it it was cold a little bit, wasn't it? It was uh, streamlined and, and kind of uh, less cards, I believe, than what you first started out with. Could you talk us through the, the prototyping and the playtesting that arrived at the final kind of component count for Misdirection? Most of the most of the testing, or well, every game we tested, we either removed something or added something. And when I say we, I mean me and whoever was testing it. Mm -hmm. um, there was probably no two games until really the final version that had the same cards in it. I've oh, probably wow. still got a drawer full of cards here uh, that are removed from the game. Um, so I was constantly adding, removing cards. Some cards would work, some cards wouldn't work. Uh, and it was just all 
trial by error, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came to a two-player game, um, a lot of cards didn't work, so we had them. I had to mark them, um, so they're actually removed in a two-player game. So the two-player game actually flows better because if you skip a player in a two-player game, it's your turn again. So there's no yeah, no real benefit to that. <laughs> other than to burn through cards. But yeah, so it was a lot of testing of that. I've got two kids, so I they're my guinea pigs. They're probably sick of the game now. <laughs> but um, they were behind me the whole time. That's awesome. And one novel thing about Misdirection that sets it apart from other games is it can support up to eight players. How did you end up getting from testing like the two, three, four, all the way up to eight? That was actually quite easy. Um it scales in a way, so the more players there are, the less life points you have. So I think at eight players, you only have four life points. So it keeps the game moving. It doesn't keep it around too long. Um, but once again, it was all through playtesting. Kids have friends. They bring their friends over. They play it. I was also introducing the game to a lot of older people, like my parents' friends and stuff like that. So they would play it and then... I'd go off their feedback. Considering they don't play board games, it was a it was a good audience, and I think it was a good introduction to them into modern board gaming. That's so nice that you were able to bring in a different generation because always we're talking about younger generations, but I think it's great when you bring older ones back into gaming, especially if like chess or Monopoly was their level that you were able to get people to participate in your game. Yeah, definitely. It's also good to. You know, throw them under the bus every game. It was great fun. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned playtesting. A lot of it was people you knew. Uh, what were the other groups that you playtested with? Like, how did you get it from that initial index card to what was on Kickstarter? Uh, it was just different groups mostly. So I would – I've got a, a few friends down in um, a country town called Warnable. Don't try and spell it. Um, <laughs> it's actually where the, the game was – Originally conceived, the game idea, I should say. Oh. <laughs> I was, I was, I've got friends down there, and they run a, a tabletop event every few months. And I brought it down there, and I got their feedback. They're big board gamers, and they got me into all this stuff. So it's actually their fault <laughs> that they were subjected to to my testing. Um, so it was just, yeah, I was just bringing it everywhere I could. I I would bring it, if I was going out to dinner, I'd bring it with us and the kids would play it, keep them quiet. Um, just wherever I could, I would, I would bring it. And that's the beauty of having a, a small box game like Misdirection is it's super portable. You can bring it around, yeah, wherever. And you get you just gave off some excellent examples of when you might break it out and either get a little bit of testing in or just getting uh, some playing in and enjoying the game for what it is. Yeah, that's right. So when I was designing it, I had no idea like small box was like a, a design thing. Mm-hmm. I just set out to design a game with the components that it needed. It just happened to be it fit into a small box. <laughs> so it, it was it was great that it worked out that way. For real, especially when it comes to fulfillment, it is a lot cheaper to send around a small box versus some of these bigger ones that weight. Like once you push that one pound, two pound, it gets insane how much it can cost. I might have to Google how much a pound is in kilograms. Sorry, I got no idea. <laughs> oh, you're good. I think it's five, maybe five is two five or something kegs. like that. Wow. 
Could be. <sighs> That's a lot. <laughs> Maybe it's too much then. I, I might have the the ratios reversed. Let's see. Maybe it's like your time difference. Oh, yeah, that's, oh no, here we go. This is this is supposed to be not in the episode. Oh, I love it. Let's see. Michael, uh, so speaking of, like, you were saying earlier that the original game was to have players interacting uh, indirectly with one another, kind of pinning the blame or passing the blame around without, like, fully intending it to be so. Was that a change that uh, was made at any point during the uh, kind of playtesting or preparation phase of misdirection, or was that always there from the beginning? Could you name something that did change over that, the course of development? Yeah. Yeah, so that did change, like, probably in the first iteration. Or, oh, originally, really? okay. there was a deck of enemies that you had to get through, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, well, this is just boring. Like, it wasn't exciting. So then the idea for the whole inadvertently direct attacking someone through through a card that you play came about. Yeah. Um, so that happened pretty early on. Um, and that's a super juicy kind of interaction uh, where you just kind of put your hands up in the air like, sorry, yeah, I, I had to do it kind of thing. And uh, it alleviates some of the blame, I think, the finger pointing. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's also it creates so many laughs. Like, I think I've probably won one game out of the hundreds I've played against my kids just because I'm crap at every game I design. <laughs> oh my god, I totally know what you mean. I lose most of the games I design. I was like, I don't know if when I win a game, that means it's going to get published, or if that just means I need to like throw in the towel. I'm done. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, do we all suck it at the ga- at the games we design, or? <laughs> It's a lot. I don't think so, because I know many people that always win their games. I think it's just, I don't know, we don't put enough time into mastering it, or we made a game that you can't master. I think maybe it's chance or luck. Yeah, I think maybe it says something about the design itself, that because you know the game, it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. Ooh, that's definitely true in a lot of cases, I think. For sure. Completely agree. Do you remember maybe a favorite play session when everybody was super engaged and playing your game and it just like it sticks in your head? Uh, I can't pinpoint a specific one. Um, just when the kids were around and they had their friends around. And I think the thing I, I liked the most was when they'd say, oh, let's play it again straight after the game. Even if they were the first yeah. eliminated, they'd want to play the game straight away. That was That's probably the most rewarding experience of I had developing this game. That is a really good feeling. I mean, especially right now with the market as it is, there are a lot of kid and family games. So for a kid to be like, I want to play this again, instead of pulling out the next game, that's great. Yeah, it's great unless it's like at 11 o'clock at night and then they've got school the <laughs> next day. Just yeah. my kids. Wow, what's, <laughs> what, what's the deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they just love to stay up. <laughs> And so uh, over the course of this journey, do you remember, Michael, how long it was about uh, when you kind of realized the game is is ready for me to take it to the next step, take it to the next level uh, in terms of launching a crowdfunding campaign for it? Because I had the art issues for 12 months, the game was actually was play tested for about 18 months. Okay. So, yeah, so 18 months of being play tested while I, I waited for the initial artwork from my original artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went on to Anthea and she whipped her stuff out in 
record time, which was unreal. And from there, I just started just narrowing cards down. So, mm-hmm. you know, we started with 70 cards. We, I can't remember how many cards are in the game. I should probably know this. Um, <laughs> it's been fulfilled for over a year, so I've got no idea. Um, it's okay. Do you have a ballpark? Like 100, 120, you know I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk behind me. I'm going to have a look at the box. So there's 46. Yeah. All right. That's quite a cut. Yeah, so there's 46 action cards. There's eight different enemies, and that's just in the base game. In The the Kickstarter version came with just a little promo pack, mm-hmm. which had the stretch goals in it, which added a few new enemies, and I think about another 20 cards. Okay. So all up, only about 66 cards. Um, I've still got a drawer full of cards right next to me with, <laughs> um, with a whole bunch of cards that just didn't didn't fit into the game properly or or drag things out or just threw a spanner in the whole works. Right. Yeah, no sense in keeping those if they're going to kind of detract, I guess, from the, the core experience when you want people to be hooping and hollering and crapping themselves yeah, when they're playing and everything like that. Yeah, 100%. And a game like this, you don't want to go on for an hour. So oh, certainly not. Ooh. You've got to... Uh, yeah, you've got to make some sacrifices, which is understandable. <laughs> so at what point did you decide that you were going to crowdfund this game and start up a company to produce it? Um, so, yeah, through through joining Facebook groups, like uh, you see like uh, the big ones, like Board Game Spotlight, for example, was one of my first ones. Um, and there was a few other Kickstarter ones around. I learned that you could sort of make it without... You know, obviously, you put in your initial contribution to the project, like money for art, uh, advertising, stuff like that, and then you can offer it to people. You can, well, you can crowdfund it. Basically, I was just going to describe the whole crowdfunding. Um, ah, yeah. So basically, you have an idea, you put it out there, and say, if you give me this much money, I'll give you this product. If we reach this much, you'll get this extra, this extra, stuff like that. So I learned you could do that with game, with board games. So I'm like, oh, awesome. And I decided I'm going to do that because, you know, if people don't want it, it's not going to get made. And there's no risk to me financially. I don't have to put myself or my family in a position that uh, could be harmful financially. Um, Mm -hmm. And it gives me the opportunity to put put a product out there. So, and did you do all the marketing on your own then? And by by you saying all the marketing, I did no marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you did um, no marketing. Wow. I did no marketing. Yeah, so that's that's one thing I would recommend people don't do. Um, I based my Kickstarter off the price of the game, which might have worked five years ago. It probably will not work now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm lucky it worked for me. Uh, I don't know why it did work for me. So, yeah, I, I basically based my marketing off putting my game on Kickstarter for $10 US, um, and that was the selling point. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any any real marketing before the Kickstarter campaign through Kickstarter or through uh, sorry through um, Facebook or any, any advertising or anything like that until the campaign launched. If there was a book on what not to do for a Kickstarter, my face would be there and this would be written next to it. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> Clearly, you're telling us that everything that everyone's told not to do worked for you. It worked for me, but I believe it worked for me on the basis that it was $10. People <laughs> looked and go, that's only $10. And I was counting on that, but I had no idea what to do. I have a better idea now, but once again, that doesn't always work. But don't do what I did because it won't work now. <laughs> It is very different now, that's for sure. There's just so much competition out on Kickstarter, and yeah, it's it's not a good look. <laughs> I'm curious about the process running the Kickstarter and how you uh, moved from the Kickstarter to post-campaign. Uh, manufacturing, shipping, how hard was that to learn, especially since you were delving into this on your own for the first time? I didn't find it too hard. Well, the manufacturing side I didn't find too hard. So I reached out to a whole bunch of different manufacturers, which is so important. You've got to, you've got, you can't just get your first quote and be happy with it because you get a quote from another company, it'll be completely different. Uh, you get a quote from another company, and that will be completely different. So get a whole bunch of quotes. If I could give you some advice, do that. Um, I ended up going with a game company called What's Games um, that was actually inspired by, I got a, a game called Skulk Hollow from Kickstarter and the quality was just unreal. So yeah. I, yeah, that's a good one. I, um, I contacted them after dealing with a few other companies and they had probably the best price. So I went through them. Manufacturing went well. I, did mess up in regards to after you send everything off, you get it back, you get it in like a, a massive, bigger than A3 sheet of paper um, rolled up. Basically, it's, mm -hmm. it's proofs to, to show, show you what the, what the product's going to look like. I, in, in, in getting a quote, I mistook their wording on the rule book size. Oh. So I thought it was the entire size of the rule book, whereas it was actually the – no, they thought it was the entire size of the rule book, where I thought it was the actual page, each page. So my rule book is actually half the size it should be. Oh, and, no. And I didn't pick that up. So you pick it up and you look at it and it's like, is it a rule book for ants? What is this? It's <laughs> absolutely tiny. Um, that's entirely on me. I'm like, ah, oh, after I noticed that, I sent them a message and they're like, well, you've pr approved the proofs. If you want to do it, it's going to be another 600, AU, uh, 600 US. And I'm like, I think I'm just going to cop it and just explain. <laughs> and I put the rules online as a compromise, as, as, a, as a thing. Just so if you do have problems reading it, you can jump online on the website and you can view the rules there. Shipping, on the other hand, was a completely different experience. <laughs> I, I knew I wanted to ship from China. That was probably the best thing to do at the time because it is such a small box. If I shipped it to Australia and then I had to ship it out myself, it would cost in excess of 20 bucks each. Um, and, it and so by shipping from China, are you talking you had everything on pallets and they were going over or the individual packages were shipping from China? Individual packages were shipping to the world from China. Oh, wow. 
So I used a company there. I don't want to badmouth the company because I'm sure they do a good job and I've received things from that company. It's just their communication was let down and it ended up costing me an additional 4000 Australian to ship it. Oh, um, no. Wow. You've just got to be so clear when you're dealing with people where English isn't their first language. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to deliver the product, so obviously I, I paid for it all. Done. I'm not done with that company. I'll probably use them again, but I just need to be so clear. Like they wrapped this um, my game in enough bubble wrap that it wouldn't even break if it was glass. Oh yeah, that's and, so funny. Um, it's great that they they took that care, but <laughs> that they would they sh- they showed me a video of them bubble wrapping it. Okay, I'm like okay, cool. That's too much bubble wrap, but they never took it any further. They just said, oh, he's approved it. So I've gone through that oh. and I've shifted. And look, it got got the places in really good condition, but my wallet wasn't in less good condition, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So wait, they spent like 4000 in bubble wrap? What? Yeah, well, that's what I... 4000 Australian, so what's that? Maybe two and a half US? I'm that guessing. sounds right to me, it's yeah. It's a lot of bubble wrap. It's a lot of bubble wrap. Like, I have boxes of bubble wrap. I've... I'm, like I, got, I still got copies of the game here. I unpacked them all. I have boxes of bubble wrap in my garage. I mean, it's good when I need to send stuff out, but who needs that much bubble wrap? <laughs> I was going to say, they used to give us bubble wrap during finals in college, so we would just pop it when we were stressed out. So, hey, if you're stressed out during you know, COVID, just pop some bubble wrap. I actually got some bubble wrap for my 18th birthday, so I didn't crash a car. They wanted me to wrap my car in bubble wrap. Oh, would would oh, four thousand Australian been enough to cover your entire car? Uh, it, you know what? I could probably cover my car right now, 100. <laughs> percent Oh my gosh! So, what would you say was the most challenging part of learning all these different elements of fulfilling and putting together the game? Uh, the pain, <laughs> the pain for the uh, errors would probably be the most challenging. Um, look, I, I, I just treat it down to a learning experience. This was my first thing I've ever done in my life where I've actually gone through and completed a project from start to finish and delivered something to people that have paid me for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a certain personality type called an ENFP. So there's a quote going around online for ENFP is there's no limit to what we can do when we're meant to be doing something else. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a massive procrastinator. Like if I can find a reason not to do something, I will do it, even though I need needs to be done. So this was a huge step for me doing it to complete it. So to me, it was just a massive learning experience and – I'm grateful for it, even though it cost me a little bit more money than I wanted to spend. It, it, I delivered a product I'm, I'm proud of. We're really glad to hear that, Michael. And to kind of tie it all back, you know, now you have these nuggets of wisdom that you can impart to others within the design community. And I want to ask you a question here. Uh, what do the letters TGDA mean to you? And uh, how instrumental was TGDA uh, to Misdirection and all kind of your other games since then? So TDGA is Tabletop Game Designers of Australia. Um, it's, a, it's a Facebook and a community, Facebook community and a community, I guess, of just designers based in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they basically... I've got a Facebook group um, and you can just put your opinions up and or questions and they'll 
comment and help you where they can. It's it's just a great resource for new designers or or any accomplished designers just to come in and say, hey, what do you reckon of this? And you get a whole bunch of opinions on it. You don't always have to follow those opinions. Just remember that your game has a certain vision to it. If you took everyone's opinion on your game, it wouldn't be your game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also good to consider the options that, that you're given. Um, they also run uh, an event for it. Well, being in Australia, we are at the bottom of the world, as you know. Um, <laughs> we don't have the conventions that uh, that the US have, so we don't have access to massive ones like Gen Con, stuff like that. Even Essen is a $3,500 flight over yeah. there to, to go there. So it's, it's a long way away, but we our biggest convention is PAX Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a massive hall where it's divided into video games and then tabletop games in the back section. Um, now, Tabletop Game Designers Australia run an event, an event before that called DevCon, where you can go and you know get other designers to play test your game, stuff like that. But in the recent years, PAX and um, TGDA have started working on something called the PAX Collaboratory. Ooh. Um, so we get a, a set. So you you apply online, you say what your game's about, and if you've got any pictures, stuff like that. And then you'll get an email if you get approved, uh, accepted, and you'll get a time slot on two days, so about a four-hour time slot on two days to demo your games in a specific area in the tabletop area. Uh, it's all signed and everything. It's it's probably the best spot for anyone to dis- to display their games. Yeah. Uh, and um, my understanding is TGDA were the well, basically it was because of them that this happened. Um, before that, I, I did bring Misdirection to PAX. Um, in 2017, they had a uh, uh, just a, hey, if you're a designer, come bring a game in sort of thing. But it was like, I don't know if you've ever been to a PAX where there's just free play tables. I don't know if it's the same in the US as it is in Australia. Mm-hmm. PAX Unplug definitely has some free tables that you can utilize, but typically now they're, they become more structured where you need to get those time slots. Yeah, it's it's always been pretty st- structured here, other than the free play area, obviously. Um, but yeah, in 2017 they had, hey, if you're a designer, bring your game in. So I applied for that, and I got like three people playing my game in a two-hour session. So it wasn't very good. So in 2018 they introduced a collaboratory where it's more of an official um, official capacity. Um, and last year. They had the like the play area for the collaboratory right outside the TGDA booth, which was great. So I had Misdirection on sale there. I sold a few copies cool. while I while I demoed another game. So yeah, it's it's good, but I guess it, it, one thing this pandemic I don't I didn't really want to talk about the pandemic much. Um, <laughs> but one thing it's done is sort of you know how you guys don't have conventions at the moment. That's Australia always. So welcome to our world. Oh wow! Thank you. <laughs> so we don't have access to, <laughs> to everything like that. So you know how it is for us now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was going to say because doesn't even New Zealand have a convention? How do you yeah, not have a convention? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we've got a few small ones. Like I think there's one in Canberra called CanCon. Um, 
there's a few events in in Melbourne CBD. <laughs> there were, um, they were run by an incubator group. Um, there's a few around, but nothing like nothing big. It's like you grand. know, Gen, yeah, not Gen Con's huge. You know, uh, there's a toy fair in the US that's huge as well for board games. Yeah, the New York Toy Fair, and then there's the Chicago Toy Fair. <laughs> there's you're right. There are quite a few large yeah. conventions. Yeah, so you're spoiled for choice. Whereas in Australia, we've got <laughs> PAX, and we don't have PAX this year. It should should have been on maybe two weeks ago, I think. Um, but you know what? What can you do? Um, there is one in New Zealand. I think there's one called Wellicon. I think um, Shem Phillips from Garfield Games is a big contributor over there. Uh, I think yeah, I think the, it just happened, or at the yeah. time of this recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it did. Um, He's a he's a wealth of information as well. If you want to bother someone, go bother that guy. Um, <laughs> he's probably going to hate me for saying that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll need you to make the introduction. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll try. <laughs> so I'm curious about what's the future of Misdirection? Are you currently eyeing any follow up games in the same world or universe? So I ran two Kickstarters this year for a, a game set in the same world, um, which was a hidden movement game. Uh, they were both unsuccessful Kickstarters, which is not the greatest, but you know what? What can you do? Um, so that was set in the same world, but I've shelved that idea for now, and I've actually gone back to Misdirection, and I'm looking at options at either expanding the game itself or... Some people have suggested a second edition. Mm. Um, so Misdirection was received quite well by a lot of people. But inside the deck are cards that say no action. And I think people thought this game might have been heavier than it should have, like, thought the game was heavier than it actually is. I tried to be as transparent as I could about that. Um, so in, inside the deck are, are cards of no action, which is basically you don't want to get caught with those cards most of the time. Um, but if you do, you know, you want to try and pawn them off. Some enemies don't react to those cards, but it was all uh, like a strategic play. Like there's eight no actions in the deck, but they were meant to be there. Um, and people were like, why are these cards no action? I'm like, well, if you come up against an enemy that says it'll hit you if you play a no action card, and if you've got a no action card in your hand and someone else makes you play this card, the enemy's going to hit you. That's the point. That's the mm-hmm. whole game. <laughs> so I tried to be as transparent as I could about the game and how light it is because it's, it's not heavy. It's not. It's hardly strategic in the slightest. It's complete random chaos, and that's what I wanted. Um, but some people took it as if, hey, he's just being lazy. He's named eight cards the same thing. So, yeah, I'm back to the drawing board on misdirection of where it's headed. I might do an expansion, or I don't know if I'm going to do an expansion or make a second edition. I'm still up in arms. It all depends on how my brain works. <laughs> and what you're putting off. Options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So could you pinpoint a favorite and least favorite moment in your design journey so far, and that's including with misdirection these two Kickstarters that you just did? Sure. Well, them not funding is a pretty crappy thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's what once again differently between those and misdirection. If you don't mind me yeah. asking, just for anybody who's listening. 
well, I advertise this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not quite sure why it didn't. Um, I was speaking to um, – I'm going to probably murder his name. Artem Saravov of um, – he did the uh, Unbroken Kickstarter before that whole schmozzle. So he did a solo game, and he's, he's a wealth of information if you want to – get some information from him and he's like okay. he do, he put it down to basically the timing of the game and the the state of the world that it's in now um i don't know why it didn't fund um i think ben was one of my consultants on my kickstarter oh, by dear. consultants i mean i harassed him and <laughs> asked him for what he thought not constantly. even uh-huh <laughs> um it didn't fund, you know, it's, I'll probably look at doing things a little bit differently in the sense of maybe more previews. Like this one, I had a few more previews happening, but yeah, I, I'm stumped to why I didn't fund, but you know what? It is what it is. I've shelved that game for now. Um, yeah. And I've brought back an older design that I shelved two years ago to work on, but it's not related to this. Um, Okay, well then, what was your favorite moment so far in like your design journey as a whole? Then, actually, delivering a product and people going, "Oh wow, this is fun!" Like that's, I've never had someone go, "Hey, you did something really cool. I like it." I'm like, "Wow, that's really." It, it, it makes you know the the two years of work worth it to see people sure. appreciate your work. Um, probably my least favorite moment would be waiting for art <laughs> so i would get an idea for an enemy or something like that and i'd send it off to the artist and she'd go okay cool she'd do her work but that wait in between was just like oh so my brain works in a way that i'm a very visual person and i need to see it like in action it's not probably the greatest talent if you'd call it a talent to have uh, i can't move on to designing as like another game, unless I get a name for that game and I know what the game's name is, you know what I mean? So mm. it sort of slows down my process, but I understand I'm also not in the same boat where I'm going to go, hey, I want this out by this date or else, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. my position because artists, well, she's got her own life, you know what I mean? So it's just to be mindful of that. But I'm impatient, basically. I was gonna say that's honestly a really good tip to give people because you never know what's going on in someone else's life and even though you might be going a million miles an hour the other person might just be you know driving the speed limit oh 100 percent. like after my last game uh she did the art for that as well she had to take a break and you know I, I reached out to her just to make sure that I hadn't pushed her to a certain degree that she didn't want to work in art and it was nothing like that which which i'm thankful for so i didn't have that effect on person on, on someone ruined their <laughs> their love of art because <laughs> i'd hate to do that oh my gosh yeah well it's nice that you checked in though that's a good way <laughs> to uh communicate yeah she's a she's a top bird <laughs> so as you kind of reflect on your uh experience if you could offer one piece of advice to designers, what would it be? All right. We'll say one piece, but it will probably be many pieces. <laughs> <laughs> um, just bloody do it. <laughs> Look, your game's going to start off bad. It'll be ugly, but stick with it. It's 
it's kind of like what they say when you're raising a child that it takes a village. I don't know if any of you are parents, even fur parents. No, nah, no, nah, fur parents, no. Nah. I was going to say, I was like, three cats, don't think it counts. No, nah, no, nah, cats don't want anything from you. Um, but it really does take a village. Um, get opinions from other designers. But in saying that, know your vision for your game. Know what you want it to be. Uh, it doesn't mean take all the advice that comes your way, but just consider it. But try and stay true to your your vision of the game, of your game. No, that is good to do because you are going to get a lot of opinions coming at you and it's good to stick to your guns on certain things. Granted, taking that advice is always positive. Yeah, that's right. Like if I remember you're getting, especially with designers, if you get, you say, oh, I want to do this this way, another designer will have a completely different way of doing that. Another one will have a completely way, different way of doing that. So as well as getting designers' opinions, it's also get, good to get people that play board games' opinions as well. Mm-hmm. So don't just stick to board to designers' opinions because remember, they're designers. They have a certain way of, of thinking and doing their own thing that works for their projects. It might not work for your project. For sure. People do tend to try to redesign your game in their image. Yeah, 100%. I'm guilty of that myself. If I play <laughs> a mate's game... Um, and I think of some way of doing it, I'll tell him, but I won't expect him to go, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to change it completely to your way because it's not his design anymore, you know what I mean? It's it's great you say that because I think I am the exact opposite. Whenever anyone says, yeah, maybe this could change, and then I'm like, yes, yes, it should, and then I give it a go. And that's I'm, i i got to take a page out of your book, Michael, is basically what I'm saying here. <laughs> you can, but you can also realize that person can be wrong. Okay, <laughs> so take that on board as well. Don't, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we're just about to close out here, Michael. Did you have any uh, last last thoughts that we didn't touch on yet that you would like to address uh, about about design, about Australia, about about anything on your mind about Australia? <laughs> okay. Not yeah, really. You're representing the entire place. <laughs> the entire country. Well, I'll do a better job than bloody my prime minister. Uh, <laughs> uh, what a potato. Um, not really. You know what? This is the only question I didn't have an answer for. Sorry, Ben. Great. No, not at all. That's fantastic. I'm glad you got to say everything you wanted to. And yeah. more, maybe, because we kept prodding you with questions. <laughs> That's good, because, um, once again, pop my cherry. There we are. Oh delicious everyone thank you so much for joining us this episode of game design unboxed inspiration to publication episode six misdirection thank you again michael for joining us for anyone looking to get in touch with you uh, if you were open to the idea where can they reach you yeah sure so i can be found on the games with teeth facebook page uh i've also just started an instagram for games with teeth uh, it's probably best you don't Google games with teeth because you'll get a whole bunch of descriptions on how to make your kids brush their teeth. Oh. One thing I didn't uh, account for when naming my company. Um, you can also find me on Twitter very rarely under at Rolkus, or you can just email me at michael at gameswithteeth.com. Easy peasy. Well, this has been one of your hosts, Ben Moy. Uh, and we also have joining with us Danielle Reynolds. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook at DMR Creative Group 
also on Twitter at Creative DMR, and then Instagram at Token Gamer, and that's G A Y M E R. And then we've got Denise, and you can find her. Hi, you can find me on Twitter at Year23 or on Instagram at Kelly DN. Thank you all so much for listening. And that's all we have for today. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.